0: was a a trip up in Canada in the uh, kind of mid-1980s that when they developed the film, like they were in the background, there was like a Bigfoot was basically like standing and watching them that they hadn't seen when they had taken the picture.
1: Welcome to Big Red Canoe, the podcast from Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, where we introduce you to captivating people and intriguing stories from America's treasured wilderness. I'm Dave Meyer. Grab a paddle and hop on in. As the sky darkens and the water quiets at dusk in the boundary waters, it's time to share stories around the fire after a long day's paddle. But instead of telling fish stories or reminiscing about trips past, you might try to give your kids or trip buddies a little scare. After all, you're all alone up here. And there might be something lurking in the woods, under a submerged log in the quiet bay, or even in the sky itself. And if you listen to these whispers on the wind or in the trees, you might be able to scare someone silly. If you poke around looking for unusual boundary waters tales, you might find some spooky stories of deserted lakes, or overgrown campsites that just struck people as being a little off. Like a place they might not want to stay the night, or giving them a feeling of not being alone. And it doesn't take too much imagination. Or you might have heard stories of windigos, which are part of the lore of indigenous nations in North America, often described as powerful monsters that try to kill and eat their victims. These creatures used to be human, but were transformed into Wendigos because of their greed or weakness, or even cannibalism. So this past year for Halloween, we wanted to find out if any Boundary Waters fans had any scary stories to share. And we partnered with Lake Monster Brewing, who agreed to give a grand prize of a year's supply of beer to the top story and they'd brew a beer to commemorate the Boundary Waters monster on a can. Well friends, I'm here to tell you that that beer's ready and it's named Jackerwocky after our winning entry an axe-wielding moose antlered lumberjack apparition that's set to release April 27th. We'll be there at the tap room in St. Paul and it'll be available in liquor stores in the Twin Cities and the Northland We had a lot of fun with this contest and we received some fantastic and fun entries. And so in addition to a first prize, we also named two honorable mentions. So I've asked our winners to come on the podcast and read their winning entries. Our first guest today is Susan Dew. Susan is a writer and photographer for the Minneapolis star Tribune. Susan, thanks for joining us. So are you more of a boundary waters fan or a horror fan or both?
2: I'm definitely an avid boundary waters fan. I go, uh, to the Boundary Waters at least once a year, um, sometimes multiple times a year in different seasons. And I love, love horror, um, horror movies, horror novels. Um, and I love scaring myself in the Boundary Waters and writing, you know, campfire ghost stories for my friends. It, you know, there's not, um, all that much to do out there except relax most days and so one of my favorite things to do is just lay in the hammock read ghost stories and write ghost stories um, to tell later at night and you know the boundary waters is such a mysterious um, vast wilderness that I think if you let your imagination run you can really um, start you know, and thinking about scary things that might be around that bend in the trees or just beneath the surface of the water or lying in wait for you in in the trees on the way to the latrine or coming out of the latrine. Like, there are so many things that um, make for good material for scary stories.
1: What other inspiration did you draw on for your story?
2: I would say that this story was probably... Um, you know, partially derived from like those those uh, scary stories you tell in the dark books um, from from camp. Uh, there, there's this folklore about uh, this hunter who like shoots shoots the tail off some animal in the dead of winter, and it comes back to haunt him. I think that was that was a pretty big inspiration for it. Um, but also, uh, I tried to litter in um, just things that I really actually love about the Boundary Waters um how the lakes kind of flow into each other and you know sitting on a rock fishing and um cooking for your friends and um so a lot of those details are really things that I do draw kind of like spiritual significance from but um you know I think part of horror is just like twisting what you love into um could be creepy
1: (laughs) right and that's what our panel of judges liked about it the way you placed it in the boundary waters and how it literally gave some of us chills while we were reading it well without further ado would you please read us your story it's called
2: the tongue the bald rock jutting into the eddy where the koishue river met hudson lake was a prime fishing point at dawn Aaron couldn't believe his luck as he reeled in a muscular walleye, followed by a feisty northern that gnashed its needle like teeth as it came thrashing out of the water. Before noon, he had enough to feed the whole party. He cast just one more line, sailing his lure into the mist with a flick of his wrist. He dragged it lazily, with a gentle tug and a jig. Something caught hold. Something big. Aaron planted his feet as the fishing pole arched violently down. He had a monster hooked. Hey! Hey, I need some help here." Aaron shouted over his shoulder. But his friends were all back at camp on the other side of the island and couldn't hear him. The clouds parted and the sun burned off the last of the fog. Sweat rolled down his face. His fight with a thrashing leviathan in the water had become a war of attrition. At last, the tension snapped, sending Aaron stumbling back on his behind as his line flung through the air. Whatever it was had stolen away. Aaron reeled his lure out of the woods where it had flown but as it swung nearer, he could tell that something was attached. Curious, he took it in one hand and just as soon, dropped it with a shriek. It was a human tongue, mottled in green with rot. A great shudder surged through his entire body as he retched. Holding his breath, he cut the line, kicked the tongue into the trees and charged back to camp. His friends didn't believe him, and when they hiked back to the fishing point to take a look around, they couldn't locate the tongue in the brush. They decided to move on with aaron determined to tell the authorities what he'd found just as soon as they exited the boundary waters from hudson they paddled to insula and followed the koish out to alice they fought white caps that ruckled beneath their canoes from bow to stern with the wind so strong that the paddler in front could not hear the paddler in back suddenly there came three unmistakable knocks on the bottom of aaron's canoe watch out for rocks he called nervously to his partner even as he wondered if rocks could make that kind of sound. They carried on, but by and by, the knocking resumed, three sharp raps like knuckle bones on the underside of the boat. Watch out for for tree branches, Aaron called. This time, an unsettling suspicion needled under his skin. In the turn of his oar, he thought he saw a shadowy form keeping pace beside the boat. And when they shouldered their packs on the last portage, Aaron could swear He heard a whisper weaving through the trees that did not sound like the wind. Some prickling sense made him turn and look repeatedly down the trail. A gut feeling of being followed. Night fell and the party made camp. They built a fire, cooked the fish, and passed a canteen of whiskey. Bellies full, they retired to their tents just as storm clouds formed on the horizon. Aaron lay still, listening to the wind rushing through the pines and the waves crashing ashore. A low groan came up the beach. There was a wet slap and a scraping sound, like flesh hitting the rocky outcropping of their campsite and dragging across the beach. My tongue, a ghastly voice gurgled in the darkness. A slap, a scrape, as it crawled closer. What have you done with my tongue? As a shadow loomed across the walls of his tent, Aaron pulled his sleeping bag up to his chin and squeezed his eyes shut, trying to keep silent. A hand reached up. Bony fingers unzipped his tent. A sickening odor, like death itself, hovered over his face. Aaron couldn't help it. He opened his eyes and saw a half-decomposed corpse leering down at him with strips of skin hanging off its hollow cheeks. Aaron screamed. The corpse grinned. There's my tongue, it said.
1: Thanks, Susan, and thanks for sending in your story. I think I'll remember this if I'm fishing in the boundary waters and I get hooked into something underwater. If it's not giving way, maybe I'll stop pulling at it and just cut the line. We're going to take a short break here to hear about something that's real life scary. We'll be right back.
3: No copper sulfide mine has ever operated without polluting the surrounding water sources. It's the most polluting industry in the United States and an existential threat to the Boundary Waters. That's why Friends of the Boundary Waters is championing the PROVE IT FIRST law. The PROVE IT FIRST law is simple. Before a copper sulfide mine in Minnesota can be permitted, the PROVE IT FIRST law would require independent scientific proof that just one copper sulfide mine has operated in the United States for at least 10 years without causing pollution. And that one mine has been closed for at least 10 years without polluting. Let's protect our clean water. Let's pass a Prove It First bill.
1: We're back now listening to the winning entries from our BWCA Monster Contest. And my next guest is Molly Valentine, who told a story that people really liked about a girl who made a surprising discovery when she got her photos back from a family boundary waters trip. For our younger listeners, you used to have to take film to get developed after you finished a role, which could mean waiting weeks until you got your photos back, until they came out with one day or one hour photo places. But um, anyway, you surprised me when you told me that this story wasn't just made up, that it was at least loosely based on real life events.
0: Yeah, so actually, I mean, it's like t- twice that it happened. So it happened to my to my cousin Mark. It was a, a, a trip up in Canada in the uh, kind of mid nineteen eighties that when they developed the film, like they were, it was like a group of guys. But in the background, there was like a Bigfoot was basically like standing and watching them that they hadn't seen when they had taken the picture. But it was like, they didn't really see it until they were looking at the picture and like, well, we were having fun. But look, at so was this guy here too. So it was like, they didn't know about it until you know, like weeks after they were, they were back from the trip.
1: Wow, I was not expecting to hear that. Did, did they ever get to the bottom of? Uh, no, of-
0: no, just a unsolved mystery (laughs) and then the same thing too is that the that that happened at our farmhouse too it was like this image of these like just looked like they were like looking out of the window of the house so it was kind of like a reflection and it was like a Bigfoot family basically there was like varying sizes but that's where you could really see like the expression in their eyes and so I think that always kind of stayed with me of just like you felt like you kind of wanted to tell people about it but you kind of didn't because you just thought you just needed to keep that private too like whatever that was just just leave it alone just seem more of the thing to do
1: (laughs) still have the pictures
0: well, I, it's a phone that it was like, a, I've still had that phone, but it was like, I never had it like developed. And then I don't have like the charger for that phone anymore. Or, you know, like when you change the SIM cards for it too. So I never like uploaded it in the cloud, but it was like a picture from about 12 years ago that was kind of like on an earlier form cell phone. So I feel like that was like dumb not to save it. Cause it's kind of always something I tell people that. And then they're like, oh yeah, right. But then you look at it like, oh yeah, that's exactly what that is. It's like a Bigfoot ghost looking out at you. I mean, it was just really like very bizarre.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, send in that phone. We might have to get some technical experts on the case to see what they can find there. You're a teacher, right?
0: So I, I teach third grade uh, at Taylor's Falls Elementary.
1: So do you think that your connection with kids might have had anything to do with how you featured a child as the main character, uh, as well as kind of a Boundary Waters Bigfoot?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of kids really like Bigfoot and that is a character that resonates with them. And so when I write something, usually I want to try to write something that my that I can read to my students. So I kind of wanted to have like a scary element of the story, but I didn't want it to be too scary. And actually like my students really like, they like the story, <laughs> you know, too. So that was, that was kind of, that was kind of fun. I and mean, when I showed them my uh, the painting of Bigfoot and they, and they, they like that too. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of fun to share those things
1: with them. Excellent. Well, thank you for telling us about the inspiration and how you shared it with your class. Let's hear the story.
0: For sure. This is, You've got a friend. Uh, Rachel grew up in a family that loved wilderness. Since the summer when she was seven, her parents and brothers and sisters had traveled from St. Paul to the remote far north on their annual trip to the Boundary Waters. As a baby of the family, her trail duties were light. The pecking order was clear and Rachel was more than satisfied in her role. She had the leisure to portage the lightest loads to explore when the rest of the family was busy packing up the campsite each day after breakfast When they cooked, cleaned, or when breakfast was cooked, cleaned, and eaten. Each member of the family connected to their BWCA time for their own reasons, and this time together in this most pristine and sacred place was something that they all look forward to. Rachel held a secret and an ambition that she had kept to herself since that very first summer. When the trip pictures were developed, she had pulled out a very unique photo and had made the life changing choice to keep this to keep the secret that the image captured had revealed. The ripple effects of such a a splash seemed too great a risk. She had even taken care to take out the negative. As much as she loved and trusted her family, she sensed that this image was for her alone. Even at seven, she knew that some things were meant to be kept unknown. Her older brother, Ryan, took the bulk of the family photos and this particular shot showed her father and her sister Tracy beaming with pride at the huge string of fish they'd caught that day. Rachel could remember how delicious they had tasted and how the sunlight had sparkled on the water that very day. When Rachel looked closely at the picture, she noticed the shadowy figure of a very large, dark, and hairy creature standing among the tall green trees. It was the knowing and pleading look in the creature's eyes that stayed with Rachel the most. This creature was intelligent. This creature had a soul. Rachel wanted to protect him, her, it, and yet Rachel yearned to know this creature. Could she do both? This summer, she was 17 and it struck her that this was the 10th anniversary of her family's first trip. Each summer, she could sense the creature's presence even even as her family laughed, played cards, bickered, and sang. It was on the seventh and final night of their trip that Rachel had asked if she could paddle alone to a small island near her family's campsite for the night. And to her relief, her parents agreed without complaint. She knew they were proud of her and she felt such a freedom and a thrill as she set off alone. The water was clear and calm and her paddling strokes were confident and smooth. She loved to see the water drips return to ripple the lake with each stroke. When she reached the island, she pulled the canoe up onto the shore. And for the next hours, she searched the island, deep into the trees, certain that this was the time for her to come face to face with this creature, the one whom she'd long considered to be her friend. She walked back to the canoe and sat crying alone on the shore. If not now, when? She took off her boots and soaked her feet. Her tears turned to sobs that she'd held back for such a long time. The toll of this great secret had weighed heavy on her heart and she felt a storm of emotions, hurt, disappointment, anger, and even a tinge of fear. As she dried her eyes, she felt a lightness in her heart. A good cry was cleansing. She looked into her reflection in the water and confirmed what she had known for so many years, the form, the shape, and the figure reflected behind her. She was not alone. It was the intelligence, caution, and kindness in the eyes that assured her Rachel was with her friend.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Molly, for entering the contest and sharing your story with us. Now on to our winner. This monster story was more of a poem. It struck our judges as very literary and had its roots in some well-known poetry, including, we noted, drawing from the cremation of Sam McGee, but our winner definitely made it his own and brought in countless Boundary Waters references as he created a new monster, the Jackerwocky. So congratulations to our winner, Brian Edstrom. So Brian, tell us a little about how you approached this contest and how you decided to do it in rhyme.
4: Yeah, I read The Cremation of Sam McGee or heard it read maybe in northern Minnesota a long time ago, and I was a camper and staff member at at camp Widgee wagon and that's kind of a popular poem uh, among Widgee folks and i associate it very much with northern minnesota so when i saw this contest i kind of immediately got it in my head that paying an homage to uh the cremation of samaghi would be a fun way to do it did you ever get scared at all while you were writing this um not so much well i, w- I was kind of going for a blend of scary and sort of lighthearted and humorous at the same time, which is kind of how uh, Robert Service wrote The Cremation of Sam McGee. So hopefully I captured that. But I do have memories of hearing and telling ghost stories actually out in the and on Lake LaCroix, Lac LaCroix specifically, where I was quite scared in a tent at night. So um, it did bring back some of those memories for sure.
1: Do you do any other types of writing?
4: i'm a lawyer so i write a lot i do a lot of legal writing but i i think a lot of lawyers secretly wish they could do more creative writing and i'm one of them and so i've kind of dabbled in trying to write stories for my kids and things like that but nothing that's gotten any attention like this
1: well with this entry you've won a year's supply of beer from lake monster and the jacker will come alive on beer cans far and wide so congratulations
4: yeah, well, what an honor to win a year's supply of beer from a great brewery. I will definitely work to share it.
1: All right. Will you please read the Jackerwocky for us?
4: Uh, credit again and cheers to Robert Service and Lewis Carroll for inspiring the, the title and, and sort of the idea of the poem. So this is the Jackerwocky. There are strange things done beyond Lake One between the pigeon and Nina Moose, The echo trail has its secret tales that would make your stool run loose. The northern lights have seen strange sights, but the strangest they ever did see was that night as a boy on Lac La Croix when I toasted the Jackerwocky. I had seen afloat an empty rowboat and paddled out to assist, and still in my mind is what I would find as I approached it in the mist. From under the stern curled claws that churned the fathoms reflecting the night, But just as I saw them, they withdrew to the bottom and left only murmuring fright. When back on the shore, my neck tingled more at a most unsettling sound. A chorus of loons alarmed at the moon and caused me to spin right around. There rose a beast, an eight-footer at least, emerging from out of the lake. It gnashed and moaned and terribly groaned, pulling an ax in its wake. Covered in hair, it wasn't quite bear or lynx or wolf or man. It wore plaid on its back, its head crowned with a rack of antlers impressively spanned. I knew then and there I was fixed in the glare of a legend few will see, a lumberjack past and eternally tasked to haunt his jackerwocky. Cursed with the guilt of an industry built to put profits ahead of what's wild, the beast's spectral aim was to stake out a claim from which humans are mostly exiled. Though I, just a boy there camped on La Croix had trespassed into this space, I knew my ancestors, through trials and testers, had learned to remain in good grace. A strong syrup craving was the secret to taming the lager within the demon. So under the stars I held up two jars that I brought along for this reason. I raised both up high and told the beast why I too loved the land it patrolled. The syrup then glugged as it grabbed one and chugged and put its rancor on hold. Its breath was most foul, its voice still a growl, as it spoke close to my face. I'll spare you right now, if you solemnly vow, to tread lightly and leave not a trace. But if you come back, please bring in your pack, a refreshment befit for a ghost. So long as you do, I think I'll make do, repeating this unearthly toast. It rose to full height, fading back into night, and leaving my jar behind. Without any doubt, I packed it back out, keeping my promise in mind. The rest of my journey was calm and unhurried as I portaged and paddled towards home. But each time a loon called, and when the wind howled, I wondered if I was alone. There are strange things done beyond Lake One, between the pigeon and Nina Moose. The Echo Trail has its secret tales that would make your stool run loose. The northern lights have seen strange sights, but the strangest they ever did see was that night as a boy on Lac La Croix when I toasted the Jackerwocky.
1: So that's our winner, the Jackerwocky. Thanks to our winner, Brian Edstrom, and our honorable mentions, Susan Dew and Molly Valentine, for joining us on the podcast and reading their winning entries. Also, thanks to Lake Monster for working with us to highlight a Boundary Waters monster and for their support and their great prizes. The Jacker is a dry-hopped pilsner, and it will be released at Lake Monster Thursday, April 27th. Friends of the Boundary Waters will be there, so come on down and say hi and look for it in stores throughout the Twin Cities and up north. And if you don't see it at your favorite establishment, ask for it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be covering a wide range of recreational topics this season, from hiking trails to tips and tricks, and we'll meet some great personalities from the BWCA along the way, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Big Red Canoe is a presentation of Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Original music by Surge and the Swell. I'm Dave Meyer, and we'll see you next time on Big Red Canoe.
3: The Boundary Waters is more than a stunning collection of pristine water, trees, and ancient rocks. It's the people, the memories, the life-changing experiences that make this wilderness such an important part of our lives. Connect with this special place by subscribing to Friends of the Boundary Waters newsletter or following us on social media. Visit www.friends-bwca.org
1: to learn more.